This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. everybody welcome back to the transcend human podcast great to be with you um apologies uh we skipped a week there um it is april 3rd 2023 and we missed one last week Uh, my wife always tells me what's the big deal i mean just do a podcast episode whenever you get around to doing one and while she is 100 correct (laughs) it still it still doesn't make it any, any easier for me We've talked before about how I'm an Enneagram one, and there's just something comforting about the routine, the ritual, the uh, the consistency of putting out an episode every single week. So something I'm working on, but here we go. So right off the bat, there is no excuse for missing last week. I guess I could say that things have been a little crazy. Um, for those of you who have been around a while, you know that uh, Tammy and I are a resource family or foster parents in the state of California. And we had a little kiddo, a little five-year-old last year um, who was with us for about three months. And then the court decided to send her back home. So we've been without a foster kid for a few months. And recently we've been introduced to a new girl and she has been spending some time with us, getting to know us um, to see if it might be a good fit for her staying in our home. So, so that's been going on again, not an excuse, but let's just say there's a lot going on. Uh, we also had a kiddo who got to come home for spring break from New York city. So that was fun to have her home, spend some time with her and, uh, and then get her back on a plane so she can go finish up her junior year in New York. So I guess that's pretty good summary of what I've been doing the last couple of weeks um, and why I was just a little preoccupied with life in general um, instead of the podcast. So there you go. Let's dive in for this week. So the minute of transparency, I'm just going to call know-it-alls. So have you ever met a know-it-all or do you know a know-it-all? Uh, simply defined, a person who thinks they know it all, right? Not rocket science. Um, I'm sure I've met a few in my lifetime. One I can remember back in high school, and I would say there's probably someone at work right now that I work with um, who is a know-it-all. Now, the good thing is that neither of these people are the narcissistic, authoritarian, or controlling type of know-it-alls, the way that I would kind of assume a dictator might come across. In fact, I've got a really good relationship with both of these guys, uh, even though they seem to know it all right? What I've come to realize about both of these guys is that they came by it honestly. Both of these guys read a lot. They watch documentaries. They do a crap ton of research on things that interest them. Uh, They spend a lot of time Googling things they don't understand. And after all of this, it makes sense that they probably have this internalized wealth of knowledge, right? Knowledge that has to come out somehow. And typically, this is how it comes out. So let's say you're in a conversation with a group of people and a question is thrown out, something like, I wonder if AI will take over the way it always does in the movies. A couple people probably laugh. One throws out something like, I know, right? Wouldn't that be crazy? 
But then the know-it-all jumps in and shuts everyone up. They start with something like, actually, did you know there's a 72% chance? But there's also a chance that it won't be AI that will get us, right? It could be something that AI creates or causes to happen that actually does us in. At least that's what the latest research is showing. At that point, everyone looks at the know-it-all and stops talking, right? Because you just can't match that level of information, right? The conversation moves on. You move to something new because nobody can match what the know-it-all just said. Again, nothing wrong with a person having this level of knowledge. So what it might be is the disparity between the know-it-all and the average person, right? The disparity that makes normal relational conversations difficult at times. Another thing I've noticed over the years is that I just might have a tendency to head in that direction as well. I've been a know-it-all at times, or at least I've tried to play one on TV, you might say. I'm definitely not a walking data bank like some of these guys. However, I am that guy who researches things he doesn't understand. So in conversations, I feel pretty confident about discussing certain topics. And I might come across from time to time as a know-it-all in those scenarios. What probably keeps me in balance is being called out every now and then. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't happen very often, but every now and then a person will say something like, that doesn't sound right. Or are you sure? Or that's strange. I was under the impression it was the opposite or something slightly different. Now, back in the beginning, I probably dug my heels in and prepared for battle, right? Because I really thought that I could rely on my brain and the research that I had done on whatever the topic was. But all it's taken is a couple of times being proven wrong. And I think I've learned my lesson. And that's a hard lesson to learn, right? When you think that you really know something, when you're really right about something, only to find out later that that thing that you read or that thing that you believe to be true is not true. Ever since then, you've believed something that wasn't completely accurate. It's humbling, to say the least. And it can even be angering on some level, right? Especially for people like me, people who grew up in a strict traditional Christian home with very legalistic tendencies, because this upbringing is based on a set of beliefs, beliefs that my parents and the church I attended all held to be 100% true. Because of this, my parents and the church were at the core know-it-alls, right? And they became know-it-alls because they believed these truths came from the ultimate know-it-all, which is who? God himself, a being that is considered inerrant or without error, incapable of making a mistake, unable to be wrong. So now you know where I was going with this whole story about know-it-alls, because it helps set up our topic for today, which is transcending inerrancy. Today, we're going to talk about three things. Chapter one, We Came By It Honestly, Chapter 2, The Faulty Filling, and Chapter 3, Living in the Gray to Be Okay. Chapter 1, We Came By It Honestly. So when we use the phrase, we came by it honestly, we're typically suggesting that we got it from our parents, whatever it is, right? That's why it is referred to as happening honestly, because we were too young to know the difference. We simply took it and incorporated it into our lives because that's what they did. And now we're living with it 
and realizing that it is a big part of our lives, whether we like it or not. Now, for me, there's no better illustration of this than the religious beliefs that we're taught when we're growing up. At some point in our lives, we look at the religious beliefs or the religion that we're part of, and we say, well, I came by it honestly. But from that point on, we have some options, right? We can either continue to say this for the rest of our life or believe this for the rest of our life, remain in the same kind of religious community that we grew up in, and choose to do nothing about it. Number two, we can choose to question our religious beliefs and allow them to change a bit as we learn new information about that religion. Or three, we can throw it all out the window and choose not to believe any of it. Now I know there is an entire spectrum out there, right? But these are the waysides, the larger buckets. As a person moves through the spectrum, they will most likely identify themselves in one of these three buckets. So for the sake of simplicity, I'm just going to refer to this process as the deconstruction spectrum, since we're talking about our religious or spiritual beliefs. In fact, we did an entire series called Transcendent Deconstruction. So if you're interested in that, head on back to episode 127, and you can pick that series up there. I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can get to it easily. But in the series, we talked a lot about the spectrum that people are on in the deconstruction process, right? And a couple of them are important for our discussion today. First, deconstruction is part of a larger cycle. So we talked about this cycle of indoctrination, enlightenment, and deconstruction. As a kid, we are pre-programmed or indoctrinated. Then, at some point, we reach a point of enlightenment, when we're forced to question our beliefs. And finally, we begin to deconstruct those beliefs in order to bring it into harmony with our new understanding or our new beliefs. Number two, religion and faith are two separate things. Now, to be sure, they're part of a Venn diagram, so there is overlap, but people in the deconstruction process can be deconstructing very different things. For me, Faith is not something that I'm trying to deconstruct, but religion is. For others, deconstruction is more about faith, deconstructing their belief in God himself. Number three, deconstruction is not the goal. So we didn't spend a lot of time discussing this during the series, but I did touch on it, I think, in the final episode. And then I did another episode, number 140, where we use the 12 steps of AA to kind of describe the deconstruction journey. The important thing to understand is that deconstruction can be a downward spiral, almost like falling down a well with no bottom. And that's not a good feeling, right? Living in constant flux, never having a foundation to stand on. So there comes a time when you have to move from deconstruction to construction, a time when you agree with yourself on your new belief system and then you start growing from there. Because deconstruction is a disconcerting process. Construction allows for growth, maturity, progress, purpose, and meaning. Okay, that was my little tangent back to the whole deconstruction thing. It might seem unnecessary, but I'll put it together here in a minute. So in the minute of transparency, I brought up know-it-alls. And the ultimate know-it-all as God himself. 
For some Christians who enter the enlightenment stage, this becomes a problem for them, right? The idea that there is a God or an all-knowing being, that's ultimately their problem. And people like this typically wind up being agnostic or eventually atheist, and they refer to their process as deconstructing their faith. For me, I don't have a problem with God. In fact, I fully embrace the idea of God. For me, it's what came next that was the problem. It's the numerous groups of people who have created legalistic, demanding, and at times abusive power structures called churches. That's the piece that I have a problem with. And because of that, I refer to myself as deconstructing my religion, not my faith. Now, we're getting somewhere. So I've laid a pretty solid foundation for our topic for today, which is inerrancy. According to dictionary.com, the word inerrant has a very simple definition. It simply means free from error. Uh, A synonym is infallible. So in the Christian world, this word is used in a very specific way most of the time. Simply do a Google search for the word inerrant, and what are the most popular search results? Well, you'll find that almost everyone has to do with Scripture or the Bible, because this is where the word inerrant is typically used. Traditional Christianity has declared that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, that he spoke it into existence, that the Bible is a book documenting the exact things that God himself wants us to know, the manual for the human being, and that no error can be found within it. And that, my friends, is where the problems start. Why so many people are deconstructing their religion and their faith. I can only speak from my own experience, but as a kid growing up in a traditional Christian home, this is what I was taught. The Bible is the inerrant word of God. If you find a perceived error, it really isn't an error. You just don't understand it well enough to see that it's not an error. For me and many of my friends, this is what's meant by We came by it honestly. Chapter 2, The Faulty Filling. So, who doesn't love an Oreo cookie, right? Two chocolate cookies with an amazing sugary filling in the middle. It's an iconic cookie that will probably stand the test of time. Now, not the numerous variations that they've come up with over the years. Things like Double Stuff, Oreo Thins, Oreo Cakesters, Gluten-Free, The Most Oreo Oreo, and then, of course, all of the fun colors and flavors that they introduce over the holidays. No, I'm talking about the OG, the original Oreo cookie. Basic, with just the right ratio of chocolate cookie to sugary filling. That's the one that will never go away. But here's the analogy I'm going to run with, right? why I brought up Oreo cookies in the first place. Take away all of those variations, boil it all down to the OG Oreo cookie. If that's all there was, if that's all we had to choose from, we would all eat it the same way, right? Wrong. A hundred percent wrong. In fact, this was one of Oreo's most successful ad campaigns. They posed the question, how do you eat an Oreo cookie? Some people pop the entire thing in their mouth. Some people eat them in two bites. Some people eat them in multiple bites. Others twist off the cookie part and lick the filling. Some dunk their Oreo cookies in milk. And the list continues to grow with every new generation. 
And so it is with the Bible or what's inside the Bible, you might say, the filling. We all have the same Bible, but apparently there are thousands of different ways to eat it or understand it. For many of us, this might be one of our first moments of enlightenment when we realized that every church claiming to have the truth is claiming to have that truth out of the same Bible. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that the Bible is the problem, right? It could just mean that people are interpreting it in different ways. Like 10 scientists presented with the same evidence, and yet 10 different conclusions are drawn about that evidence. And you'd be right. Remember back when scientists found the missing link, supposedly? Back in 1912, scientists found human remains they refer to as the Piltdown Man. Scientists argued over them, how they were dated, and eventually on their significance. But the common theme was that they had found the missing link between monkeys and humans. That is until the 1940s when the bones were subjected to some chemical testing and they were found to be fake, an elaborate hoax by some of the scientists working on the very excavation site where the bones were found. Now, there are two things that I want us to take from this illustration. First, every scientist was looking at the same bones, the same evidence, and yet coming up with different conclusions. And second, the bones they were looking at turned out to be fake. So back to the Bible and whether or not it's inerrant. So we've already discussed the first point, right? That numerous people, groups, and religions are using the same book to prove different things. In other words, the same book is the foundation for religions that believe very different things. But we haven't really touched on the second point. The question, is the Bible actually inerrant? Or, like the Piltdown Man, when you subject the Bible to a few tests for validity, do you find that there are errors and that it may not be the inerrant book we once thought it was? Is the filling faulty, we might ask? I listen to my fair share of podcasts, many of which are by people who are either going through or have gone through the deconstruction process, some of which have left the faith altogether, choosing a life of complete ambiguity or even atheism. But a common theme that I hear over and over is that they couldn't reconcile the Bible. They stopped trusting in it because there were so many errors found within it. They found too much fault in the filling. On the one hand, you have the traditional view that the Bible is 100% inerrant. On the other hand, we find that there are historical inaccuracies and conflicting stories. Even in the religion I grew up in, the Bible was called inerrant. But when a problem arose, the party line was always something like, well, you have to go back to the original Greek text because there has been some misinterpretation in modern translations throughout the years. What the heck? So you're saying that the Bible is inerrant, just not the one that I get to read, right? Ours has problems. But if you get a college degree in ancient languages and go back and piece together some original parchment, you might eventually find the inerrant part. See where I'm going with this? The foundation is a bit shaky. And I'm not even giving you the bulk of the problems, right? I'll let you research those on your own. 
there are lists and lists and lists that people have put together on contradictions that have been found in the Bible. Not to mention the intangible contradictions like how can God be a proponent of genocide in the Old Testament, but then a God of love in the New Testament. And if the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, how can those two things even coexist? Now, like I said, I'm not going to go into all of the things that appear to be wrong with the Bible. What I am going to say is that there is a really good chance that we were taught about the Bible being inerrant, and that may not be true. We reached our enlightenment moment, and now we have to figure out what to do with it. Chapter 3, Living in the Gray to be Okay. Most people who grew up in that traditional Christianity that I grew up in get really nervous when you start to use the word gray, because for so long we lived in a black and white world where we had the inerrant word of God, and that meant that we had the answers to everything. Not answers that everybody agreed upon, but everyone in our specific religion, so that was okay, and it kept the black and white going. So when people start talking about the gray or the middle, we get very uneasy because we were taught that we stand on a firm foundation, one that cannot be shaken. But after a while, we start to realize that that firm foundation is one person's take on the Bible or one group's take on the Bible. You see that there are other groups out there that believe just as strongly, just in a slightly different way. And you realize that you're caught in a trap. You're all living in these separate little rooms in the dark, dank basement of a house. The house called organized religion, right? But after a while, you realize, hey, that looks like a set of stairs over there, right? I wonder where that leads. And so you take the stairs and it leads up and out of that basement. And you walk outside and you realize just how large the world really is. And when you look back down the stairs you see that there are people huddled together in each of these rooms, mocking the people in the other rooms and holding the door handles tight to make sure that nobody leaves and to ensure that nobody slips in unnoticed to disrupt the beliefs that you've all decided upon. And you feel sad that you were part of that for so long. If only they could see the predicament that they're in and see the stairs that lead up out of the basement. But where they lead isn't black and white. They lead to a world where there is gray, a lot of gray. And that's really difficult for us, like I said. Speaking for myself, I've deconstructed many of the black and white religious beliefs that I was taught as a child. And while there is a sense of excitement and freedom that comes with all of that, there's also a sense of fear and anxiety and uncertainty that comes along with it as well. Because remember, gray is bad. Gray is the enemy. The church I grew up in loved to use the reference to the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3.16. It says, So then because thou art lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now, this was the ultimate verse used to dissuade us from the gray, right? You had to live your life in the black and white or God would be done with you. See what I mean? We don't even fully understand what that verse is referring to. But those in power over us used to demand good behavior with it, right? It worked for them on some level, and it kept us from asking questions about the gray. But here's the conclusion that I've come to. When it comes to the Bible, people have many options. Here are a few options. 
First, continue to view it as the inerrant word of God. Make excuses for, rationalize errors, continue to use it as a battering ram to promote the specific set of beliefs that you adhere to. Two, view it as God's word, just told through errant human beings. So be good with the fact that there are some errors, there are some contradictions, and try to see and use the Bible as an overarching message for the humankind. Three, view it as humans' best attempt to document something we believe to be true. So there are people who view it as just a collection of stories and words of wisdom that were brought together into one book to help us make better sense of the world around us. Or number four, it can be viewed as a work of art, similar to ancient documents and stories like the Epic of Gilgamesh or the Homer's Odyssey or, or even more specific religious books like the Quran or the Book of Mormon. All attempts at documenting beliefs about our origin and connecting us on some level to a spiritual realm. And finally, number five, we can just throw it all out as a total hoax, similar to the Piltdown Man, right? Which is now viewed as nothing of importance, something that should have been ignored because it was misleading and it was dangerous at the time. So where are you at with the Bible? Which of the categories above would you place yourself in? For me, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm still on the struggle bus, right? I'm struggling because I've left option one. I no longer believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, that every single word is true and that there are no errors possible. But at the same time, I can't argue with history. The fact that the Bible has endured for as long as it has, that it's based on ancient documents that chronicle the existence of humankind from the very beginning. The fact that there's this thread of continuity in it, right, from the ancient patriarchs through the Israelite nation, Judaism, Catholicism, Protestantism, all the way up to us today. The Islamic tradition is even rooted in the Abrahamic story, which is also documented in the Bible. And then there's the personal element, right? The fact that it inspires people to completely change their lives, to give up things that are causing them pain, to start doing things that seem almost backward to them. How it moves people from a life of complete selfishness to a life of helping others. And how it provides a peace that people are really looking for. And then there's this little thing called prophecy. So this is one piece that I just can't throw out. There's no way. It's a piece that will forever keep me fascinated with the Bible. When we think of prophecies, we think of ancient mystics like Nostradamus, right? Prophesying about many things. Some came true, others did not. Then you have modern television shows like The Simpsons, right? This show has become a cult classic because it appears that it can predict the future. And in some cases, it really does seem to have a knack for that. But these are mere shadows of what the Bible truly does. So take the prophecies regarding the life of Jesus, right? And how they were fulfilled in his birth, his life, and his death. Take the end time prophecies and how different writers all seem to see the same thing. How the prophecies in the book of Daniel mirror the things that are talked about in the book of Revelation. Now, how were Daniel and John able to write these things that they did and have them both line up so well? For me, this is where I just, I can't help but believe that the Bible contains the words of God. 
Not that, it's, not that it's the inerrant word of God, but that there is something in the Bible that God wants us to hear. Um, you know, Daniel and John both attribute their prophetic writings to God, right? They were visions or dreams that they had, and they felt compelled to write them down. To me, that's significant, and it just will not allow me to throw the Bible out with the bathwater. So that's where I'm at. Full transparency, I'm somewhere between option two and option three, right? Somewhere between the Bible containing the actual words of God, you know, the, the things that he really wants us to understand, and a collection of writings by people who believed in him and documented their experience in the greater story. You can call that living in the gray. You can call it no man's land. But whatever you call it, it's the reality that I find myself in these days. And my comfort, to kind of summarize and wrap things up, my comfort is knowing that Jesus exemplified what it looks like to live in the gray. Jesus lived the life of a deconstructionist. And we spent a lot of time talking about this in the uh, transcending or transcendent deconstruction series. Um, but this is really where I kind of land the plane. Think about his entire life on earth, right? The entire life that Jesus lived. He made it his mission to push back on the black and the white, to deconstruct the religion that the Jewish leaders had built. He ruffled feathers. He called out the church elite for their hypocritical behavior. He did things on the Sabbath that were not allowed based on Jewish law. He hung out with people who are considered unclean. His entire life was lived where? In the gray. So if it was good for him, I'm pretty sure it's good for me. Now, like I said, it's not the easiest place to be, but I feel like I'm in pretty good company. Okay, let's land the plane. So thank you so much, first of all, for hanging out this week. Um, I've always said that this podcast is me working through my stuff, and this week was definitely a good example of that. I've struggled with the whole inerrancy of the Bible thing for a long time. Uh, I've seen other people completely throw away a belief in God over it. And I've known that it's something that I need to wrestle with in order to maintain my own faith. My hope is that there is someone out there that needed to hear this conversation as much as I did. So a couple of questions for you this week. First, simply put, how do you view the Bible? And second, how does that view of the Bible impact your life right now? Again, love that you chose to be with me today. Uh, I hope things are going well for you wherever you're at around the country, around the world. Have a great week, everyone. And as always... Keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels, and as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.